ask of me, I will give you the nations for your inheritance, and the ends of the earth for your possession. Welcome to the Joshua Nations Inheritance Podcast. whatever time zone you're in, and uh, I greet you in the name of the Lord, and know that I have been praying and very excited about sharing with you, and those of you that know me know that I love to tell stories, and so I'm going to tell several stories. All of us here have unique relationships, have uh, unique responsibilities that God has put in our in our hands, Uh, but I want to talk about a specific unreached people group, a specific that every one of us have, and I want to talk about that unreached people group because it, it is one that we don't talk about. I'm going to tell you true stories, true people, and I'm going to be fighting the clock because I have lots to share today. And the title of what I'm going to be sharing with you, Stewardship of Influence. Stewardship of Influence. This is going to, we're going to be targeting our conversation today on the most difficult, probably, if not, it's one of the top two or three most difficult target groups of unreached people group, the unreached in your country, the affluent, the wealthy, the famous, the movie stars, the athletes, the politicians, your president or your king or queen or your tribal chief, people with power, people with fame, people with a following. Those are the tough people to reach but they are probably one of the most lonely groups in your country. We need to talk about the stewardship of influence. I coach church planters. Yesterday, I got a call from a church planter down in the woodlands, close to Houston, Texas. One of my guys I'm coaching, and he says, Sam, I need your help. I have a very wealthy oil man who owns an oil company, and I'm trying to uh, disciple him. He's a believer. He's coming. Uh, He's got a big checkbook. He's blessing our church. What do I do with this guy? What do I do with a wealthy oil man in my church? How do I reach him? And this church planter says, I did not grow up in wealth. I grew up in poverty. So how do you reach that people group? And I'm going to be using some illustrations and, uh, and, and understand some of the things, the wealthy, the powerful, uh, those who are famous have in common. Let's list and jot these things down. They are, they're scared. Many of them have bodyguards. They're fearful for their own life. They're fearful for the safety of their family. They are very fearful. They're scared they're going to lose their wealth, lose their fame. They have a hard time trusting people. 
And, uh, and so you have to earn their trust. So when you talk about the affluent, you're talking about the rich, uh, you're talking about the famous. When I say they're lonely, I had the privilege of getting to know a guy who was a bodyguard. He was a paid bodyguard for a very wealthy athlete and a very famous athlete. And I asked him, what is it like? And what is that person like when they're not around people? He said, they're lonely. Everybody wants their money. Everybody wants their hand in his pocket. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, let me give you an example. He said, all those famous athletes who have millions and millions of dollars, most of them cannot go home for Christmas. If they go home for Christmas, every cousin, every aunt, every uncle, when are you going to buy me a car? When are you going to help me get a house? Why don't you give me some of your money? Give me, give me, give me. Everybody wants their money. I said, so what do they do? He said, you know what they do? Many of them spend Christmas, not with their family, but with other athletes who are wealthy because they are safe and they don't even talk about money. And he mentioned some top athletes and he says, they don't even go home at Christmas. They avoid their family. And he said, there's a whole group of wealthy people that cannot even enjoy their relatives because the relatives are always wanting something. They're lonely. They're fearful. That's why they have bodyguards. They are concerned about their marriage. They're very concerned about their children. They are also concerned about their, how they're going to hand off their wealth to their children. And uh, so we're going to be talking about the affluent those people with power, those people with recognition. And in your, in your country, you've got people who are leaders. On this call right now, we've got uh, Jason from Brazil, Jason Rosindi. Jason, glad you're here. God has blessed him with a unique, unique relationship with a cacique. Uh, in Brazil, on the Amazon, but that one cacique, that tri tribal chief, has 15 other caciques that he's able to relate to. Jason has to figure out, how am I going to reach this cacique, all these other caciques, because if I reach them, I can reach their entire tribe. So the, the famous, the wealthy, those in the top leadership, how do you minister to them? How do you reach them? And I want us to look at scripture uh, this morning, and I'm going to hit a number of scriptures. About mm, six years ago, and I'm going I'm to change the names and uh, everything so you cannot know because this is classified, and I've got to protect a very famous person. Uh, everybody in his country knows him, but he's in a dangerous country. So I'm going to change it. And let me just say this guy is a high political figure in a very dangerous Muslim jihadist country, one of the largest countries in the world. And uh, I had the privilege of training his pastor 
and I invited his pastor to meet me in Singapore for training. And I said, but bring me someone that I can also train. I'll train you like Paul and Barnabas. And so he brought this guy that was in his church. I'm going to call him Mr. R or Brother R. He brought Brother R. And one of our breaks, I was training, and I said, Brother R, tell me, what do you do? And he looked at his pastor, and the pastor said, it's okay, you can tell him. And he said, he said, I'm in law enforcement. I said, law enforcement, wow. Are you a street cop? Uh, do you have a patrol car? Uh, what did you do? And he smiled, and he said, I've done those things. He said, but I, in your country, I would be called the attorney general for my country. And I said, wait a minute, you're a Christian. You're at the highest level of law authority in a Muslim country. How in the world did a Christian get that position? And he smiled, and this is what he said. He said, have you ever heard of Joseph in the Old Testament? And I said, yeah. And he said, that's me. I'm a Joseph. And I said, but how did a Christian get a high political office like that? He said, every Muslim businessman and politician in my country, whenever they have to go to court in a court of law to defend themselves or their company or uh, they're, they're having to go to court, he said, they ask for me. And I said, why do they ask for you? He said, because I, have, I will not tell a lie and I will not take a bribe. And he said, the Muslims love me. He said, the day I tell a lie or the day I accept a bribe, I'm dead. But because I can be trusted. He said, I've earned the trust and the respect, and all of them want me in court when they have to go to court. Have you ever heard of Joseph? So let's look at Joseph. In Genesis this morning, I'm looking at uh, Genesis uh, 41. We know the story of Joseph. He wound up in Egypt. Uh, you know the story about his brother selling him into bondage. You know the story of him winding up in prison. You know about uh, Potiphar's wife who tried to get him to uh, sleep with her, have sex with her. You know the story. I don't have time to read the story of Joseph. And it, go home and read it and look at that story because Joseph wound up where there were affluent people. He wound up in the presence of Pharaoh in Pharaoh's household. And then in chapter 41, verse 41, Pharaoh, the probably the most famous, most powerful man in the world at that time, verse 41, so Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Whoa. Joseph wasn't Egyptian. 
These and Joseph, yeah, he can't, his dad had land and cattle, but he had no kind of wealth compared to Pharaoh. But all of a sudden, he is put in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took his signet ring, took his ring with his emblem on it, took it from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. And he dressed him in the robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He made him ride in a chariot as his second in command. Wow. And men shouted before him, make way, make way. Here comes the Pharaoh and Joseph. Clear the pass. And he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Wow. God blessed Joseph with opportunity. He blessed Joseph with favor. In fact, uh, we go to Luke chapter 2. Jot this verse down. Luke chapter 2, verse 52. Jesus in Luke 2 goes to the temple, age 12. He winds up staying there three extra days. His parents come looking for him. And it says, the last verse of Luke 2, Jesus returned to Nazareth, where he increased in wisdom and stature in favor with God and in favor with his fellow man. Jesus was blessed with the favor of God upon him. When people ask me, Sam, how do you want us to pray for you? I say, pray Luke 2, 52 for me, that I will increase in wisdom, in favor with God, in favor with my fellow man. So my question to you, who are the affluent? Who are the famous? Who's the president or the king or the queen or a tribal leader in the world you're in? How are you going to reach them? We know that Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know all of those leaders, all those famous people, all of their relatives, all of their relationships, we know every one of them are sinners. And we know that every one of them needs Jesus needs the gospel. And if they trust Jesus, they can open doors with their influence, with their affluence. They can open doors that you and I can't open. And so how can you be a good steward when you have wealthy people that you have a relationship with? And if you don't have those relationships, you might even start praying, Lord, put people in my path, open doors so I can make a greater impact. Lord, do work. I'm available. Now, first of all, you need to understand you've got to get in the right relationship with the Lord if you're going to minister to them. I grew up on a farm. And my dad was a sharecropper. We did not own the land. We worked for a landlord. We were poor farmers. I did not grow up 
with affluence and wealth. Jesus grew up a carpenter's son. Earthly wealth and affluence. He was not a well, he did not grow up in royalty. Yet Jesus ministered to the brilliant, to the wealthy. We have the story of the rich young ruler, a wealthy man. Jesus went to the home of the very wealthy tax collector named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a man of affluence and influence. Everybody in town knew Zacchaeus. I've always wondered about the story of Zacchaeus and Jesus. Jesus went to his house. I imagine it was a wealthy, very affluent house. Probably had servants. And I wonder, I've always wondered in that story when Zacchaeus says, I will pay back fourfold to those that I have. I wonder how long the line was. How many people wanted to be paid back by Zacchaeus? And the crazy thing is, he was wealthy enough, he could pay them back. Wow. Affluence. Jesus was not scared to minister to the affluent, the unreached people group. And if you reach the unreached people group that are the affluent, those are interesting doors. So we not only have that, we have the Apostle Paul. Paul ministered to people who were wealthy and had money. What do you do with someone that's wealthy that's in your church? In the book of Acts, the first part of the book of Acts, you know the story. I wish we had time to unpack it. A very wealthy man who was a landowner by the name of Barnabas went and sold a piece of his land and brought it and laid the money at the apostles' feet. Everybody in the church knew who Barnabas was. And when he did that, he was a wealthy, affluent man. Word got out. Even so much so, the next chapter, that happened in Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5, you have Ananias and Sapphira who wanted the, the same kind of recognition. And you know the story of what happened. They lied trying to get recognition, and it cost them their life. What do you do with affluent, powerful people that trust Christ and become believers of your church. I am working with a church planter that called me yesterday, and we're working on a discipleship program for the affluent, for the unreached people group. And that he, we're going to be working with that oil man. It's been my blessing over the years. God has put people in my life who are very, very wealthy. And you have to not let their money make a barrier between you and them. They want genuine, authentic relationships with people they can trust. 
and they want a they need a Christian brother who wants to be their friend and the 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 challenge for us is a bigger barrier for us many times than it is them because they they have their own barriers especially if they've been burned and hurt my the pastor I talked to yesterday this old man that's now in his church is very skeptical because his last pastor took advantage of his wealth and his last pastor didn't know how to handle it so if you're going to reach the the wealthy the famous the politicians the powerful you're going to have to stay in tune with the Holy Spirit. And let, uh, now, let's make another interesting fact here. First Peter says it's, it is the Lord's will. It's his will that none should perish and that all come to repentance. Those wealthy, famous people, they need Jesus. If they don't get to know Jesus as personal Lord and Savior, they're going to spend eternity in hell with the beggar who didn't have a penny to his name and the wealthy, hell is going to be, money's not going to count when you get to hell. And it's not going to count when you get to heaven. It's a relationship with Christ. But who will reach the unreached people group of the wealthy, the powerful, where you are? The wealthiest guy in our city, he was 62 years old in Corpus Christi, Texas. The wealthiest guy. He was 62. He had gone to a big concert in a limousine with his bodyguards and whatever, and had gotten drunk after the concert, had kicked his wife out of the car on the side of the road. Sunday morning, she came to our church. She had scratches. She wound up in the ditch on the side of the road. And in our word, I didn't know who she was. In fact, she had been his mistress, and he had left his wife for her and left his wife and five children. He was very, very, very wealthy, had traveled the world, world cruises, safaris in Africa. He had mounted animals on the wall, hunted everything. Uh, he was an interesting fellow. But his wife came to Jesus and went home and told her husband, you got to come meet this guy. Their marriage was in such disarray. And so she came and, and introduced her husband. And then she left and she said, my husband, his name was Dick. And she said, Dick needs to talk to you. Dick said, he said, man, I don't know. My life's so messed up. I don't know who to turn to. And long story short, that afternoon, Dick knelt and invited Jesus into his heart. Now he's a brand new believer. And uh, he looked me in the eye and he said, I, I'm a brand new Christian. And I want everything that I need to be an effective Christian. What do I do? We had a prayer ministry and prayer partners. He heard about it. He came to me. He said, Pastor, will you be my prayer partner and teach me how to pray? I taught him how to pray. And boy, could he pray. 
He said, Pastor, I want to live long enough that all five of my kids who hate me because I left their mom for a mistress, I want all five of my children come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. I want, I'm going to pray that that's my big prayer. I want all five of my kids to trust Jesus. So we started praying. I did Dick's funeral two years ago, and all five of his children had trusted Christ. God had answered his prayer. See, rich people are worried about the children. They, don't, they want to go to heaven. They don't want to go to hell, but most of the time, no one talks to them because of their money, their position, their title. They need Jesus. Dick went ahead. I trained Dick in evangelism. I trained him in evangelism, and Dick had the spiritual gift of an evangelist. And I can honestly say he has led more people to Christ one-on-one, one-on-one probably than all of us put together right here. He led people to Christ daily. He was a big outdoor jogger. He jogged on the seawall of Corpus Christi, and every day he would share Christ with people one-on-one. And every week I would meet him for our prayer time at 4 a.m. on Sunday morning. He and I prayed every Sunday morning at 4 a.m. And every week I met with him, he would name two or three people he had led to Christ, helping him develop his spiritual gift. A rich man, a powerful man can open doors. One Kasiki can open the entire door for the entire tribe. But you and I have to be smart and how we reach the wealthy. Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas was wealthy, but he blessed the church. He was, and he had the gift of encouragement. He was called the son of encouragement. Barnabas took mission trips with Paul. Learning to let your Barnabas tag along. Learning to help your Barnabas find his spiritual gift. This is huge. You know, you look at the women that are wealthy. Lydia, do a study on Lydia, the seller of purple in the New Testament. She was a, an affluent businesswoman. You get an affluent woman who has other women, many times God will use an affluent woman to open doors. Uh, don't just look at the, the rich guy. Look at the wealthy woman. Dick came to Christ because his wife took the, she got changed first, went home and told her husband, and he, and he saw the change in her. The children of the affluent, and, and, and we can unpack this more, but be careful what you, as you treat them, treat them as a friend, as a brother in Christ, and avoid anything that looks like you're wanting their money. I know pastors that, well, man, so-and-so became part of my fellowship, and woo, man, he's, he gave a big check. Hey, he is a brother in Christ. His tithe can pay for your church. But learn to be real and open and not let those, those, those are very real barriers, but they're psychological barriers for us. Look at their heart. Look at their spiritual gifts. Don't look at their wallet. Don't look at their, their name. 
their power, their bodyguards, their fancy cars, the houses they live in. Put all of that aside and love them for who they are. And if they never give a penny, you love them and share and let the Holy Spirit work on them. You pray for them. The Holy Spirit can speak into their lives at a level that, that you can't. In fact, you need to get out of the picture and let the Holy Spirit do what he does best. And a lot of them have sin issues. The guy I just mentioned, he'd had more than one mistress. He had anything money could buy. But the Holy Spirit got involved, and I explored, and I found his spiritual gift. When I realized he had the spiritual gift of evangelism, I got him in touch with an international prison ministry. He went all over the world to prisons all over the world, leading people to Jesus. And he was a speaker in an international prison. I helped him find his spiritual gift and learn how to operate within it. And he became phenomenal. And he had the resources to take his spiritual gift to a whole new level. The stewardship, when we talk about stewardship, we preach on stewardship of money, finances. We speak, we preach on stewardship of our time, being good stewards of our time. But when was the last time you preached a message on the stewardship of relationships? How to be a good steward. As we look at Joseph, he was a good steward of his new relationship. Look what happened in in Joseph's life, he became the number two guy, but he blessed Israel, his family. When famine hit, he had food for them. He took care of them, and he was a good steward of his influence with Pharaoh. So how are you right now on uh, wherever you're taking notes? Put down the top 10 most influential people that you have in your life. They may be a doctor, a professor, maybe a businessman, maybe a banker, maybe a movie star, maybe a business owner. Start praying for them. Start praying for them, praying for open doors. And if they are gifted as a business leader, Gifted as an athlete or a politician, everybody loves them. Can you imagine what it would be like? What it would be like if they came to know Christ and developed their spiritual gift? You take a very wealthy, wealthy man, and he, he has the spiritual gift of giving and helps. Oh, my. God has him in the kingdom for a reason. And he's not going to take one penny of that with him to heaven. So help him, teach him how to be a good steward. He wants to be a good steward. Whenever I'm sharing with a guy like this, I teach them how to invest. And I'm going to close on this number. The fifth wealthiest guy in the state of Texas. I did his funeral and uh, his kids. I married them. I led them. I led his kids to Christ. In my ministry right now, one of his kids is my largest donor. It's, it's, a, it's amazing to me 
the generosity and the love. If you, they, and here's how I share with a wealthy person. And, I, and I'm talking about very wealthy. These people are wealthy. And I talk to them about laying up for themselves treasures in heaven. I say, man, in the earthly, in the earthly world, man, you are wealthy. You are wealthy. You, you, uh, you know, you've got ranches, you've got land, you've got private planes, you've got bodyguards, you've got several mansions, homes. Uh, you are wealthy by the world's standards. And then I asked this question. I said, you know, how are you doing in your, your retirement? Oh, doing all right. My CDs, my IRAs, my retirement plans are good, everything. I said, okay. Then I asked, what, what, what happens when you die? And most of the time, they've never really thought about it. Well, I die. You know, I know Jesus. I'm going to heaven. What is your heavenly bank account look like? Jesus said, lay, out, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. What kind of bank account? What kind of retirement account? What kind of? And boy, they'll look at me and go, huh. And then I talk to them, what if you could invest? For instance, when I go to Mexico, when I go to Mexico, when I get in the airport, I look for the cambio, the place where you can exchange money. You know, you go to another country, you change it for reals. So you go to India, you change it for rupees. Uh, and in China, for you have to do an exchange. What if you could exchange earthly riches into a new heavenly currency? Huh. And boy, they'll start thinking. What are those things you can invest in that count in heaven? Well, first of all, they'll start thinking. I said, uh, for instance, God's word, heaven and earth shall pass away, but his word will stand forever. So if you invest in God's word and the propagation of God's word, and, and I said, let's just think a moment. What if you could invest in purchasing Bibles, translating Bibles, uh, Bible schools, Bible curriculum? You're laying up treasures. You're investing. You're taking American dollars, and you're putting it in heavenly currency. And every person that trusts Christ out of that Bible school uh, every person that is discipled out of that Bible school, you are making ding, ding, You're putting investments in your heavenly account, taking earthly currency and putting it in a heavenly account. So God's word is eternal. Men's souls, they're either going to have eternal life or eternal death. And so everybody that trusts Christ, you are investing in, and you are getting them into heaven, and you're laying up souls in heaven. You're laying up God's word treasures in heaven. And then there's a third thing you can invest in. You can invest in the, the disseminating God's word, biblical training, leading people to Jesus. But here's a third one. There's one other thing. God's word's eternal. Men's souls are eternal. Ah, but in Revelation, there's a third thing. And that is prayers. All of our prayers 
Scripture tells us in heaven, all of our prayers, this is hard for us to wrap our brain around it, all of our prayers are being gathered in a bowl. Revelation chapter, I think it's five, I don't know, I can't remember, in Revelation, collected in a bowl, and all of our prayers will be presented to the Father. So our prayers are being collected. So if you pray, you give to things that are eternal, and lead people to Jesus. Then when you get to heaven, it says all of our good deeds, all of our good deeds, all of the things we've done on earth will be tested by fire. And it will either be hay, wood, or stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stone. Everything we've done here on earth will be tested. And I talked to the wealthy about laying up treasures in heaven. And then I say, you know, I know a great place you can invest in that does all those things. You can pray for them, join a prayer time. You can invest in Bibles, dissemination of Bibles, You really in Bible schools and investing in uh, people and opportunities in countries and getting God's word into countries and Bible schools. And you will see people in heaven because of this organization. You'll see people there shouting. They'll hug your neck. They'll be thrilled. And whenever your works are tested in heaven by fire, it won't go up as hay, wood, or stubble. It'll be gold and silver. And then you can lay all of that at his feet. Jesus, I did all of this for you. Years ago, my grandmother had a song. You don't ever hear it anymore. You might want to pull it up. If the title of the old, old, old hymn was, Must I Go Empty-Handed? Must I? Will I show up with empty hands in heaven and not have anything to give Jesus? Huh. I want to be able to lay some gold, silver, and precious stones at my king's feet. And I want to be able to say to him, I invested in those things that were important to you that are eternal. Thank you, Jesus. What a joy. Be a good steward of relationships with the affluent. Teach them how to lay up treasures in heaven. Thank you for listening to the Joshua Nation's Inheritance Podcast. We hope you were encouraged and challenged with today's message. For more from Joshua Nations, visit our website, joshuanations.org.